it's Metal Dave along with my co-host Jason McMaster, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Uh, before we get into today's topic and today's show, I wanted to remind you all when you watch the uh, episode on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit those like buttons. Uh, please continue leaving your comments. We've been uh, seeing the feedback from you. We love it. And uh, real quick shout, wanted to thank everyone who's been supporting the uh, podcast by purchasing merchandise. If you haven't heard already, we have t-shirts and mugs. Yay! There you go. Coffee mugs and t-shirts at talklouderpodcast.com. Yay! Thank you who have already uh, sent in your orders. We appreciate it. And uh, for those of you that haven't, what's taking so long? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, today's topic, we are going to get into bands that Jason and I wish we had seen. We've been to probably between us a million concerts and uh but even for uh, enthusiasts like ourselves there's been some bands that we haven't been able to see we were either born too late or circumstances just didn't allow us to uh check out some of those bands we'll get on all that in just a minute but first uh, i wanted to bring in jason catch up with you how you been this week man I'm good. I had a good week, uh, not to complain, but that we're in uh, spring at the moment, and my allergies don't like me this time of year. So snorting, spitting, coughing, I mean, I do that on a daily basis, but uh, <laughs> here we are in uh, you know spring where all of the spores are flying, and uh, yeah, they don't like me. So I'm um, just trying to hydrate, uh, you know, working in the yard, uh, writing some songs, uh, something cool. Here's a little antidote, something cool I saw on uh, the Facebooks today. Uh, Dave Pruitt is an Austinite who's been around forever, and he pretty much soul-handedly brought our music scene to public access television with... Uh, multiple project shows that was usually go, you know, start at midnight and go till 5 a.m. or something crazy like that. Total Wayne's World before Wayne's World. And right. um, I've known him forever. Uh, he's a huge supporter of live music in Austin, Texas area. Anyway, he has, you can only imagine the, he, he used to film every show that came to town. He's interviewed from Bill Hicks to Mia Jovovich, you know, it's nuts. Anyway, so he, he deserves a trophy as big as the Empire State Building uh, for all of this alone. Anyway, he threw up a video today of, it's October 1991, of yours truly singing uh, Just What the Doctor Ordered by Ted Nugent with... John Karabi and the Scream at Soundcheck at the Back Room, Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. Holy crap. Wow. One, I, I never knew that existed. Neither did Dave. He just stumbled on it. He didn't, you know, it was Soundcheck, so it was earlier in the day. And here's the, here's the funny part. I'm drinking a Heineken. It has to be like four, three, four in the afternoon. Wow. I'm drinking Heineken. That okay, most of, most of my peeps know that 
homie don't drink. Right. I don't drink. I bet so, you could video of Bigfoot sooner than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was 91. So, you know, my I completely stopped with any sort of like party uh, around 95. So that gives it, that makes it rare. It's a unicorn. In, in many ways, it's a unicorn. Yeah. Soundcheck, The Scream, John Karabi. Uh, here's a crazy, you know, I don't know if people know who The Scream is because they were kind of, they were one of those bands that could have, should have been bigger. Right. You know, we need to do a part two of that episode. Anyway, uh, it's John Alderetti and Bruce Bouillet from Racer X in The Scream. Yeah. Wow. And that's just crazy. Bruce Bouillet, we talked about on another episode, he engineered that Buck Cherry record. And John Alderetti uh, plays in that band from El Paso. What what were they called? Uh, At the Drive-In or something like that? No, Mars Volta. Mars Volta. Right. Yeah, he's in the Mars Volta. And also heard John Alderetti uh, uh, had a bad like bike accident, got hit by a car or something, and was laid up for a long time. I really hope that he's doing much better but he was struggling for a little while Any, anyway uh on the positive side of things it was just a great memory that i had forgotten about and now i can relive it and go yay happy times well that's awesome so people can find this on youtube it, it's a yeah it's on yeah it's on facebook if you just search facebook or youtube for the scream back room sound check jason mcmaster john okay. karabi you're yeah. gonna find it just what the doctor ordered by wow. Ted Nugent. Sound check. So no one's in the venue, right? Yeah. yeah. So Dave Pruitt's got the camera turned on and he, he <laughs> got it all on tape. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It was a nice surprise. And you with a Heineken. That might be and the a, capper right there. And a cowboy hat. I got a cowboy hat on. <laughs> I got a Heineken in one hand and John Karabi's microphone in the other. That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I'm going to have to go look for that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You'll, I, I, you'll dig it. That is awesome. What about you, Dave? What do you got? Uh, well, uh, last night I was actually listening to uh, one of your bands. You were kind enough to send a vinyl copy of the latest Howling Sycamore album to my house. And uh, I got to spend some time with it last night and actually absorb it and wow, man, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. It wasn't at all what I was expecting because I'm not sure what I was expecting but I will say I was pleasantly surprised it's a it's a deep listen it's not it's not going to be my Saturday night go-to party soundtrack by any stretch <laughs> it's a it's a listening experience it takes you places it's a musical kind of it's very atmospheric uh great play it's almost close your eyes music it is on with but, headphones. Yeah, headphones. it's a it's uh it's a dark place too though. You may need to light a candle to light your way because it's scary. It was really really good. I you know, I've known you for a while and I've known you to be in hundreds of bands and I I, I have to say I think this is probably the single most ambitious and uh maybe musical uh, project I've heard you involved in. It's really uh, 
it's really deep. It's it's intense in a really it's, good way. It's esoteric. Yeah, and so I was trying. The, you know, the name, the name of that record is uh, Seven Pathways to Annihilation." Right, correct. Seven Pathways to Annihilation, and uh, I was trying to, you know, categorize it or describe it, and it's beyond description. It really is. Um, but for for the sake of our listeners, I would you know I would throw in names like uh, Queensryche and Dream Theater and even some heavier stuff like Voivod at moments, Voivod, Tool, yeah. A Perfect Circle, Pink Floyd, just a real good mishmash of bands that are known for being very musical, uh, very atmospheric, and. Uh, I loved it, man. It was really well done. So props to you and the guys for uh, for putting out a great record. And uh, go ahead and tell people who the special guest star was on that. Uh, Marty Friedman plays, I don't recall the name of the song offhand. Uh, the record's not exactly new. It's actually a couple of years old. But uh, uh, it's on prosthetic records. Uh, yeah, Marty Friedman plays the solo on the ballad. Ooh, wow. Yeah, it was something like Silent Sound or It's not that important if, uh, if people just go look it up. But, but Marty plays a solo on one of the songs, and, uh, and uh, the, the, the real star of that, of that group in that project is the mastermind. His name is David Tiso. He's an, an, an Italian death metal guitarist, actually, who comes from a, a death metal band, a little bit of a proggy death metal band from Italy. Yeah. And he lives in the Bay Area now, and he has for, you know, oh, I don't know, year, years now. But he is from Italy, and... and uh, it's a whole story. It could take a half hour for me to to uh, explain the 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 backstory, but we can include that uh, at some point in one of our shows. We should we should get into our show, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, for our listeners, Howling Sycamore, uh, Seven Pathways to Annihilation. It's a great listen, and maybe one of the reasons I can't remember the Marty Friedman songs because. It's one of those albums where the songs sort of bleed into each other and it's like one big album, you know, it's not chopped into singles or anything like that. Uh, no. Anyway, it was a great listen and highly recommended. So check it out. On, I'm not on, sure. on white vinyl. It was indeed on white vinyl. That was really cool, too. <laughs> All right, let's get into our topic for today. <laughs> And today we are talking about bands we wished we had seen. And I'm going to just go out on a limb and, and venture to guess that uh, Jason and I have each probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of concerts, uh, especially if you put the two of us together. Uh, but there will always be those bands that you were either born too late to see or bands that you figured out, just catch them next time. And then there was no next time. And so that's sort of the topic of the show today. And I'm, I'm going to start by saying I think that uh, it's safe to say that Jason and I were born a little too late for Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And uh, at least in my case, Led Zeppelin. Um, I did get to see the Stones 
twice, but that's only because they're still around <laughs> and may never may never go away. Uh, so I was lucky enough to see them. But uh, anyway, uh, focusing on bands that were kind of around during our lifetime that we never got to see for one reason or another. I'll start with you, Jason. I have to start in the seventies in my when you know the concerts that were available to me. I feel sorry for people who live in uh, and grow up in rural areas that you know where they're you know two hundred miles or something from a from seeing a band that they really love. Uh, you know that's so. So being in uh, South, growing up in South Texas. Um, on episodes of Talk Louder, we've mentioned, uh, you know, you know, DJs that have popularized what became our favorite bands. Um, there, you know, there were radio stations and DJs, and uh, you know, um, I remember seeing even um, like the promoters, and I think that most of the promoters in South Texas were from San Antonio. One, one that comes to mind immediately is Stone City Attractions. Jack Orby. And, I know for it, to, I know it to be fact that, uh, you know, uh, if someone was coming to San Antonio, they were coming down to Corpus Christi, where, which is where I was in my earliest concert life, concert going life. And so we talked about this. My first concert was Rush and UFO. So that was 77. So, and I was like 13 or something. So the point of this show is to talk about, okay, well, I know Judas Priest on, you know, when they were out supporting Hellbent for Leather and, uh, and, and or uh, in the same swing, uh, um, Unleashed in the East, right? So when you think about that sort of, you know, I know they came through Corpus Christi. And I'll start with Judas Priest. There's many others, but I'll start with Judas Priest. I missed the boat. I could have gotten a ticket. I could have gotten a ride. Why didn't I? There's, you know, God, what's, you know, what, what's wrong with a 13 year old's life? I don't know. Paying attention, you know, uh, <laughs> you, know you know what I mean? Uh, it, today, a 13 year old punk ass kid is, uh, there's just so much. You know, there's a button in front of you all the time. Oh yes, I want that. 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 <laughs> so to be to go to uh, an outing, a fellowship of some kind, where there's going to be a celebration of music or art and power and volume and this movement that's happening that you're into. I don't know how I missed. You know, I was going to say a minute ago. Uh, the promoters, they would buy ad time and put together like a video clip and it would play as a commercial on regular network television. Like in the middle of the day, I saw a uh, concert promotion ads that were only probably a minute long for like, you know, coming to Corpus Christi Coliseum, triumph, rock and roll machine and fire and everything and all that stuff. Like, the old monster truck commercials that used to come on the radio, the concert ads were exactly the same. 
Coming next week on November 30th. Kiss. Ah, on a rocket. You know, all of that stuff. You know, tickets, $5. You know, <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. And they actually advertise the cost of the ticket. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll start with Judas Priest. Why, oh Lord, in rock and roll heaven, why did you let me miss Judas Priest in my hometown at the uh, mind-warped age of 13 when I would have enjoyed being a little bit more warped by seeing the mighty Judas Priest with less binks on drums? Yeah, wow. And things like that. See what I mean? The pretty as as close to the original lineup as possible. Um, let's put it in perspective. Uh, Breaking the Law, Living After Midnight, British Steel album was not out yet. Yeah, it was not out yet. Yeah. Uh, Stained Class was fairly new. Hellbent for Leather was fairly new. Both those records probably came out the same year, right? That's a good time to see. It's so crazy to put that timeline together and just to come to grips that I, I fucked up. <laughs> I messed it up bad, man. Well, and, and my love for Judas Priest is as big as the ocean. Yeah. Sounds like I should break out into song right here. <laughs> Well, you did get to see Judas Priest eventually, so you didn't get to see him on the tour that you necessarily would have liked, uh, but but they didn't escape you entirely, so you... Oh, you, oh you, no. You could. Oh, oh, no, there was no escaping. Little did I know my uh, my small 13-year-old brain uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't even conceptualize the idea of... You know, I was starting to play play, you know, play music. I was playing bass at that time i was i was terrible i was 13 i was just teaching myself you know i didn't even know how to tune it um and yeah uh you don't think about you know i want to make records i want to write songs i want to go in the studio i want to go on tour i want to make videos i want to tour with judas priest you yeah. don't you don't think like that I am just uh, dumb, dumb luck that I got to do all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Just be able to to stand next to those guys was not in my 13-year-old brain. So now I'm even more pissed that I didn't <laughs> see him when I was 13. So, you know, it's kind of a thing. Uh, you know, uh, um, it, it, we just did an episode on Judas Priest. I guess that could be one of the bands that you could say that you missed that early. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of bands that I would have uh, loved to see an earlier version of. Um, I mean, Def Leppard when they were kids, uh, right. ACDC with Bon Scott. I never got Just to see one, one at a time because you're getting into my list. No, so I'm, just I'm, pick, pick I'm a good. band. Talk about how much you self-loathing you have for yourself that you I, missed. Right. Let me let me go ahead and beat myself up here. Yes, that's what this show's about. It's a conversation <laughs> with me and Dave about self-loathing because why did we how did we miss that? Yeah, so the 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 first band that always comes to mind for me that I never got a chance to see uh is Thin Lizzy. And oh, that's on my list. They were by the time I was 
going by the time I was concert age, I guess you could say, they were already kind of on their last legs. And that would be, you know, I would have barely been able to see him, if at all, at that point. I probably, if I would have seen him, it would have been the Thunder and Lightning tour. Um, I wasn't going to concerts in the 70s, but uh, that's a band that I was aware of as a as a youngster because, of, you know, of course, the radio hits, um, all of which were off of one album, pretty much, uh, Jailbreak. But that's a band that, uh, as I grew older, I started digging into the deep cuts, collecting all the albums, and then recognizing, wow, what a what a magnificent body of work this band put out. And then, of course, you start studying the playing, and you really learn to appreciate Phil and his swagger and his lyricist, his lyric lyrical ability, and uh, his showmanship. So he was just like the one of the ultimate cool dudes in rock and roll and had a hell of a band and they put out a great catalog of albums and in hindsight they are probably at the top of my list of bands that uh i wish i'd gotten to see and never never did so uh, i'm going with thin lizzie for my first one yeah the uh you were in san antonio i was in corpus christi um, I think, you know, by the time I got a little further north to Austin, I was in full bloom of going to as many concerts as I as I could. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I was driving, you know. Yeah. And, and um, still <laughs> 16 or something by the time I got here, but it didn't take me long. But there's there's a lot of things that I missed. Then Lizzie was definitely one of them. Um, so jailbreak would have been fairly new when I would have been at least, uh, this is depressing. Just <laughs> bringing all this up is depressing because once again, I could have, you know, I had older brothers who were into thin Lizzie. I had neighborhood friends with older brothers who were into thin Lizzie who were all driving, yeah. Um, it, the, the, the clincher is that they, all these bands were playing in the same venue. It was for the most part at the Corpus Christi Coliseum, which was only a couple of miles up the road. Yeah. And, um, Corpus was really small back then. You know, yeah. I could have made it happen. I, I missed the, the ad in the paper. I missed the flyer at the record store. I missed the TV commercial. The, Sure, because that's that was where that was how you were going to find out about it was maybe an ad on television, maybe a, a flyer up at the head shop, which yeah. they they used to let the kids in the head shop. They just had a room in the back. You couldn't go past that. They, right, right. I could you had to stop at the kiss posters and you <laughs> wondered what that smell was or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, wow, what are all those long tubes with other smaller tubes coming out of them? What, is, what are they making? That looks like science class back there, you know. Uh, but playing Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, why? Right, or Pink Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but usually there was a there was a some kind of ad, like a flyer or a poster, show poster, saying you know, appearing at you know, Kiss, Thin Lizzy, appearing at Nazareth, right. But but Thin Lizzy was definitely one, uh, you know, Jailbreak would have been the holy grail of tourists to actually see them on, in, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, missed them all together. There, I would have loved to have seen them, uh, at, you know, jailbreak or shortly thereafter, even a little bit before. But, uh, but jailbreak, like you said, is obviously their pinnacle, their crowning, you know, their their crown jewel of an album. Uh, but just all that swagger and that musicianship on stage and just the attitude would have oh, yeah. been left an impression on me. I, so. I love I love Chinatown. I, I can see the comments on uh, on our pages now. I can see the comments. People are going to be posting their ticket stubs, and I want you to post your ticket stubs, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Everyone post photos of your ticket stubs so me and Dave hate ourselves even more. Yeah. Uh, I have friends who saw them on the Chinatown tour, like front row, like breathing on, you know, Phil's boots. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm out. I'm just, so, I, it just makes me angry. So while we're beating ourselves up, uh, who's another band that you missed that uh, that you regret not uh, seeing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the full on obvious, just as obvious as Priest was, and that's ACDC with Bond. Yeah, ACDC with Bond Scott. Um, I know they came through San Antonio. I know they came through Austin. Their first North American date ever was in Austin. Yeah, at the uh, Al uh, Armadillo World Headquarters, right. which uh, is, uh, is Threadgill still there? Did they close that place they down? closed it down. I, uh, yeah. yeah, so that is a little, you know, it's easy to say that that is the center of town. Don't you think? That's like a, they, they need a giant, they need, uh, probably one of those moon towers is nearby there, but that's like the center of Austin, Texas, don't you think? It's we close. Think it's on the perimeter of the downtown area for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the like dead center of Austin. And uh, that corner there is like a like a triangle. Yeah. It's that, that block is sort of shaped in like an, a weird amoeba shape of some kind. Yeah. There's yeah. an old bank right there, and then right next door, adjacent the parking lot, would have been the the armadillo. And talk about holy ground. I say that a lot on, on Talk Louder, but that is holy ground for sure. Van Halen played there. It, name a band. They played there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So ACDC, around 77, I'm going to say, uh, would have been unbelievable. And there was an article in the Chronicle about that particular show um, a handful of years ago. Um, and someone had interviewed or talked to uh, Cliff Williams about it because that was his first, that would have been like Power Age tour or something. And he's saying, yeah, I think I remember seeing Bond pull up just right before the show getting out of a car with like eight girls or something like that welcome to america right so <laughs> right so but you know let's talk about like uh, my influence for just a second i have this theory that bon scott was you know one of like two guys maybe three guys front men i'm talking about yeah that sort of showed everybody else how to do it. Yeah. And when you watch old footage of Bon Scott, what the hell kind of dancing is that? I don't know. <laughs> He's doing a shimmy shimmy. He's doing a shimmy Coco Pop. 
He's yeah. doing spins like like disco guys. Yeah. He's doing this weird thing with the mic cable. He's doing this almost like it's it's almost like a like a like a shivering robot move <laughs> or something. I can't it's really hard to describe. Yeah. But he's doing like this like, you know, shuffle on his feet and these spins and kicking ass and you know just killing the microphone. Yeah. His style and his uh his microphone technique is bar none. Yeah. And you know, there there's a lot of singers, you know, if you if you want to know about a, a singer's technique and and how good they really are and how how fun they are to work for, you would probably want to talk to whoever was running sound, whoever was running sound on that tour. Who is the band's sound man, right? Because they have to work around the quirkiness of whatever that singer does on stage, whatever that front man does. And I would love to just hear stories from the ACDC sound guy who was on those early ACDC tours. Yeah. Um, because I would imagine that he didn't have any problems getting getting my, uh, uh, Bond's voice into the microphone into the PA. It's like plumbing, right? You got a water source, but how come there's no pressure on the other end? You know, you got to do magic on the other end. The sound guy has a lot of work to do if there's not much going into the, you know, the main source, right? Yeah. I want to say that that whoever that was didn't have a problem with Bond. I bet he was piercing. I bet he was loud. I bet he knew when he was on it. I bet he knew when he wasn't on it. You could say same same about Rob Halford. Microphone technique is key for the sound man, for the PA, to get that voice, especially when you're talking in the 70s where your technology is not where we where it is today by any means. Right, right. It's all analog. So it's all a war of volumes between how loud the guitars are and how, how much, how you know, because, you know, a voice is an acoustic instrument. Yeah. So to make it electric, you have to have a microphone. Well, that voice has to be powerful uh, without screaming. You no, know, there's technique. There's the way that singer has to work that microphone to get it properly, to get a proper signal for the sound man to push it up over all of those amps. Now, those amps are being mic'd up as well. Hear me now. The the microphones for those amps are turned way down, like on the mixer, and the 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 volume, the mixer fader, master fader on those vocal microphones are cranked all the way up because <laughs> the because the Marshall amplifiers they they have volume knobs. Guitars have volume knobs. Amplifiers have volume knobs on it. Your voice doesn't have a volume knob on it. So there's this, you get it, right? Yeah. So, so Bon Scott, as well as Halford, as well as many, probably Dan McCafferty, Nazareth, stuff like that, which is, I might as well talk about that. Another one, I'll just throw him in with ACDC. I never saw Nazareth. Can you imagine Hair of the Dog tour? Oh, no. That would be great, yeah. Yeah, that would have been it's a trap. But it, when would that have been? Is that 76 or so? Or? Same, same time frame. Yeah. I, I mean, at that point, I'm, I'm 
barely 10, 11, 12 years old, so I'm not quite going to concerts. So, yeah, I'm uh, the old man here. I'll take it. <laughs> well, here's another one uh, that I missed that I, that I regret, and it's the only other one on my list that I haven't. What I mean is, I missed a tour. And then the rest of the bands I'm going to mention, I missed entirely. And that that's kind of where I was taking this, is, is bands I missed entirely. But one that I missed, uh, that I regret, and I, and I regret it because of a specific tour, was the original Blizzard of Oz. And I, I'm a huge Randy Rhodes fan. Randy Rhodes is my favorite guitar player. And I never got to see him live. And Same. I, I missed it. Besides seeing Randy... Uh, which would have been incredible unto itself, I would have really enjoyed seeing Ozzy kind of coming back from this this fall from grace with Black Sabbath and had something to prove and came out with a really great band, a really strong album, and uh, a whole new identity. You know, he's he's basically the marquee name now. It's not Black Sabbath and he's the singer. It's the Ozzy Osbourne band. And so those things combined, strong album, Ozzy out to prove himself, hot shot guitar player. Uh, I I would have loved to have seen, and I would have been happy seeing Diary of a Madman too, as long as Randy Rhodes was in the picture and I never got to see Ozzy with Randy. So that that ranks up there too with uh, with one of those, you know, bands I regret missing. Well, that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> in many, many, many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Are we just going to call this our sad episode? Because this <laughs> is some groveling crap here. Um, yeah, I missed that as well. I moved to Austin. I, I guess it's relevant. I moved to Austin right like a month, like weeks after that that show came through Austin with Motorhead supporting. Yeah. Which would have been Ace of Spades tour. Yeah. And I have friends in Austin that saw that tour that bought Motorhead swag. Yeah, yeah. I know people that saw the tour. There's plenty of them out there. I wasn't one of them. I because I do yeah. remember, I do remember hearing the ads and knowing that you know I I wasn't oblivious. I was a rock fan and I had the albums and stuff, but I wasn't able to go to concerts at that point. And uh, missing Randy Rhodes and missing Ozzy at a time when he had something to really prove after after being booted out of Black Sabbath effectively uh, would have been a real special thing to see, especially that first uh, Blizzard of Oz tour of Motorhead supporting. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a photo that I have saved on my phone. Um, I don't know if we're able to, to put it up. Uh, I, it's Lemmy, Ozzy, and uh, Tommy Aldridge in the background. Yeah. And they look like they're, I think they did some of those dates together in, in England or Europe as well. Yeah. Um, because they're, they were, Ozzy and Lim are old, they were old buddies. So, but uh, yeah, the, uh, just the, the idea of, the strength of the Blizzard of Oz record and the fact that Crazy Train was on the radio, uh, you know, it's kind of a moment in time 
I mean, they didn't, heavy metal was not on the radio unless it was a specialty show, like what was happening in San Antonio. Not, you know, Austin didn't really have a 99.5 Kiss where, you know, Merciful mm. Fate and Moxie and stuff like that and Motorhead could be heard, you know, at midnight on the radio. It yeah. wasn't happening. We had King Biscuit Flower Hour, Corpus Christi C101 played some album rock. I mean, I heard Iron Maiden down in in the, in the late 70s in Corpus Christi on a station called C101 and it was like it it wasn't smash it or trash it. It was just new new rock and roll and here this is called Prowler and it was by Iron Maiden and I'm like, "Holy crap. This, you know, life changer, game changer, right?" Crazy Train on the radio, first time I heard it was probably KLBJ in Austin, Texas in 1980 or 81, whatever that was. And dude, I was like, this is sort of like groundbreaking moment for this radio station. I guarantee it. Because they were the Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin station. Sure. They might still be. I'm not wanking the station, but every metropolis has that station, right? It's not really known for metal, you know, or whatever. But as early as it was, heavy metal, the term, was not was just starting to become household, you know, lip service. Yeah. As far as terms go. Man, Ozzy straddled the line. He figured it out. Yeah. He figured out how to ha- write a song with these. I mean, he stole half a Quiet Riot to do the tour. You know what I mean? But recorded those records with uh, Lee Kerslake and uh, who else? Bob Daisley. Thank you. And and that's that's huge right there. But the tour would have been with, you know, he he got Randy. And then and then I think Randy was like, hey, let's get Rudy. So he's on the road with Half Quiet Riot, which I think is sort of uh, has some kind of meaning as well, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I remember, you know, I would have preferred maybe to see, I don't know, it's hard to say. My point is, I just wanted to see Randy Rhodes, and I would have taken either of those tours. The Blizzard of Oz tour, he had Daisley and Kerslake, and then by Diary, he had Sarzo and Aldridge. And of course, you know, the trade-off is with, with Diary, he's a headliner and has the massive production with the castle and everything, so maybe maybe that's a more eye-popping show, I don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, so Daisley, Daisley was on the Blizzard of Oz tour. Uh, I don't know if he did. Maybe he didn't do the tour. Maybe I thought Rudy. Was, I thought Rudy was on the tour. He might have already been in. Yeah, he might have already been part of the live band. I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, I, I missed it too. I missed it too. Uh, so, yeah. so I'm pretty sure that he had uh, Rudy, uh, Randy, and uh, Aldrich, Tommy. You may by, you know, as a touring band, and then and then he recorded those those records. We're talking Blizzard and Diary. Yeah. He recorded those records only weeks apart. So yeah, so yeah, regret uh, not seeing Randy Rhodes. Um, another one that I have is uh, Queen. I never got to saw yeah. Queen, and you're probably a bigger Queen fan than I am. Um, but that's another band I've kind of grown. I, I lived in England in the late seventies and they were, they were huge at the time. And so I was very well aware of them. They were on top of the pops. It seemed like every week Bohemian Rhapsody was on television. Um, and I remember 
being pretty impressed with them. And then my appreciation for them and my respect for them has only grown over the years. And looking back, um, that's a band that I would have really enjoyed seeing at their peak because Freddie Mercury, to me, is just like a freak of nature when it comes to, to being a vocalist. And of course, the band is phenomenal and the songs are great. And and they were a bit of a spectacle on stage, too. Um, and he's a Freddie was a great front man. So I think I would have really, really enjoyed seeing them uh at their at their peak, you know, somewhere in the late seventies would have been awesome. He's one of the singers that Freddie is uh, one of the singers that is in my uh, sort of list of you know influences. And the things that he would do on stage are unprecedented, and I think that he sort of had a lot of a uh, a style of what would be considered uh, uh, an androgynous sort of a vibe and uh, the way he moved and the way he controlled and he was very much the showman in the way that he moved um, as as much as of course as dramatic as all their songs are I mean let's face it Queen wrote any kind of every kind of song you can think of they were metal they were they were tuning drop D they were doing things in 73 74 that you know, only Black Sabbath, as far as I know, was doing as far as drop D and, you know, heavy riffs like the Queen was like proto metal yeah. uh, a lot of ways. But they were proto everything now, weren't they? Right. So so I have friends that their first concert was Queen. <laughs> and now you hate them, right? Uh, yeah, it sucks. We're longer friends. <laughs> like they're well, it was it was Gene Hoagland tells oh. this tells the story about how his sister took him to see queen it was his first concert oh man yeah and they're in like la county or something you know they're in Los, they're in long beach so it would have been i don't know long beach arena or something like that and uh holy hell to be able to say your first concert and it might have been uh day at the races tour or something like that it was that early i mean he was uh he was he was 12 or 13. So, wow. wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's Did crazy, man. Queen? Say again. Did you ever see Queen? I never saw Queen. That's why I'm chiming in like, yes. Yeah. Like, you and I are going to have this list of all of these, you know, you know, whether it, it, my crime is my age or I was sleeping or there was some drama in my life that I, was keeping me from. You know, the ads I should have seen, the posters I should have seen, because once again, back then, there is no lifeline known as the Internet. Right. You either saw them in the arena when they came to your town or you, you didn't you had to wait another two years. That was your chance to see. Well, it. You, didn't, you didn't hear about the show. You, you didn't see you saw a poster with tour dates. Uh, at the record store or at the at the grocery store you but saw stuff like that. the tv commercials and i remember the ads in the local newspaper and stuff uh because yeah. i even flipped some of them out and still have some of them but yeah uh, yeah queen is a band that escaped me and obviously you know uh we'll never get to see them in that form ever you know since the passing of freddie but that would have been a really good one to see and sort of in the same breath on opposite 
extremes maybe, but there is a connection between, I'm going to say, uh, here's my, here's my punk rock side coming out. I wish I could have seen the sex pistols and <laughs> I bet it would have been a train wreck, but I would have enjoyed being there and witnessing that because just the fury and the antagonism and everything that they were known for. And because their, you know, their American tour was just a complete disaster. I mean, they, half the dates were canceled. So anyone that did get to see them got to see a really rare performance because they imploded on that tour, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I have to ask you, uh, how old were you in like, whatever that was 78 when they came through San Antonio, yeah. uh, and were you in San Antonio at that point? At that point uh, I was living in England and I was only, yeah. And I was only 10 years old at that okay. time. All right. I able to go anyway. Uh, but, they played Randy's rodeo. Yeah. In San, in San Antonio. Antonio, uh, I've read articles that actually had had a lineup. There was an opening band, like could have been a local band. Was sure who it was? Yeah, you know who it is, wasn't it? Don't you? Yes, it was. Frank, uh, it was Frank and then wasn't it? Frank, yeah, it was uh, his band previous to the Sons of Hercules. They were called the Vamps, and Kick-ass. it was Frank's. Uh, Frank was probably in his late teens, maybe his early twenties at that time. Yeah. Uh, but he had a band called the Vamps, and of course, most people now know him as the, son, uh, the singer for the Sons of Hercules. But he got to open that show at Randy's Rodeo. Uh, so which- I'm going to interrupt you just real quick. I think my oldest brother, Mitch, was at that show. Oh well. Yeah. So I he mean, would have some. He would have some stories. It was one of the, like I said, it was one of the few dates in North America that actually happened. I think they only booked like 25, 28 dates and half of them were canceled. So uh, the ones that did go off uh, were, were special on top of being special, right? So uh, San Antonio got to see the Sex Pistols, Frank opened for them. And then an interesting side note, uh, talk about a Tex- another Texas connection, their very last gig the Pistols' very last gig in San Francisco, uh, the opening act was Alejandro Escovedo's band. I, I believe they were called the Nuns. And uh, so anyway, interesting that their short-lived, disastrous tour of the United States had uh, two Texas guys opening two separate dates. But yeah, yeah I'd love to see that. I wonder who did that Dallas show. I think they played a place called the Longhorn theater or something like that in dallas but i think that they made it through a set up in dallas that's a couple (laughs) couple months later made it through a set you like that huh yeah exactly um but there i think there's some famous infamous i should say photos of sid from that gig where he had you know razor bladed his chest that yeah you know, those photos where he says, give me a fix or something like that. Yeah. What a nut job. Yeah. I think that probably happened every night, you know, so. But yeah. Uh, we hope so. Much. For 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 legend's sake, we hope so, right? Right. Yeah. Poor Sid. Don't yeah. let the facts get in the way of a good story. Right. But I'll add the uh, Sex Pistols to my list of shame. Uh, of course, I was too young to go, so I, I yeah, really- yeah. I was gonna say your your crime is your age. You can't really be real sad about that. Yeah. Um, all all of my idols, the the bands that I you know 
probably could have seen that I'm, uh, you know, all crying about. Um, there had to have been a reason why. Yeah. Um, we've, I've, I've already covered it by saying I, pro I missed the ad. You know, I missed the poster at the head shop. I missed the TV ad. Um, and, then, and then what really sucks is going to school the next day and a couple of your rock and roll buddies at school are telling me all about it. And I'm going, what? And wearing the T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> here's the even something worse. <clears throat> um, so. It gets uh, worse. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets way worse. So there was a, a tour, uh, and I'm going to say it was around the same time that I'm sort of like freezing on. I'm like stuck in 70, somewhere around 77 and 78. Yeah. Is my brother Randy saw Black Sabbath open for, it probably was 79. Black Sabbath, open, Never Say Die Tour, open for Alice Cooper which could have been Flush the Fashion or yeah. maybe even the record prior. Yeah, it had to be one of those uh, black yeah. albums, as, as Alice called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my brother Randy went to that, saw that down in Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi Coliseum, and I heard about it the next day. Uh, we're, <laughs> dude, we're living under the same roof, and I didn't <laughs> even know about it. You're right, that did get worse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was sleeping. Something was going on. I think I know what was going on is, you know what? Once I discovered rock and roll and really became obsessed with it, there were less there I, there were less and less me tr me with my friends on our on our bikes to you know seeing who could pop a wheelie and ride it the farthest all the way down the street. Yeah. Those, even though I cherish those moments, you know, wheelie contests on yeah. our on our bikes, you know, and we didn't have BMX bikes. We had Stingrays, you know, we had these clunker bikes that were made out of iron, you know, not aluminum frames were trickery, right? This was like heavy duty Schwinn, right? <laughs> and, and the point that I'm making is there were less and less baseball and football and wheelie popping and skateboarding and surfing the things that i was into in south tech down here in south texas there was less and less of that and more moon tan more inside yeah more needle drop in the record me trying to figure out how to play all of those songs yeah. and i unfortunately i was missing concerts apparently because I was so in a bubble, just being amazed at the idea that this was some kind of sorcery that I wanted to learn how to do. Yeah, you became isolated. And I was enjoying it. Yeah. And right, then I'm right. sure there was other drama going on too. You know, it's, a, you know, uh, my, my childhood was fantastic. Uh, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was 13 years old, and so there's that, but, you know, it didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot of fighting or anything, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like this, it was a bummer, and it, it hit us hard for a while as, as kids, you know, but uh, there were, you know, there was that going on, but it wasn't, like I said, it, that wasn't the reason I missed the fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the, it it could have played into it. Maybe you know my attention was elsewhere, but 
you know. Yeah. You got a lot of stuff going on. Dude, there's so many there's so many bands I could I could think of that that maybe I didn't know about them back then, but there's one really giant one, really, really big that I I don't recall any shows in Corpus Christi where I was living back then that would have been like the cream of the crop, the like the biggest crown I could have, you know, like broken out, like, check this out, you know what I mean, kind of a thing. Uh, and that's Elton John. Oh. Because yeah. in 75, I was 10 when my favorite Elton record came out, Captain Fantastic. Yeah. He already had a slew of hits. It would have been hits all day and night, right? Yeah. And just even a couple of years later, I mean, Elton was already a household name. He was already on the Muppets. He was already, you know, see what I'm saying? It was like Elton and Alice Cooper were like, they were, you know, they were cool. They were celebrities. They were breaking out, you know, they were breaking out. Yeah, totally. So, and also they were glam rock, they were shock rock, they were pop rock, but they both had ballads and rock and rock and roll songs on the radio. School's out. And I don't, do I need to go into the Elton catalog? Hell to the no. Here you go. Saturday night's all right for fighting. That was on the radio right next, right next door to school's out. Right. Both of those songs were being played louder than hell over the PA system at the skating rink, which I was there. And in between that was S A T U R D A Y night, you know, Bay City Rollers and, yeah. and uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band all at one boom. And you know what came on after that? Detroit Rock City, bro. <laughs> nice. It was a it was a really great time. Yeah. Okay, okay. I just I just sort of like stubbed my toe, didn't I? Because I missed Kiss. Well, you missed them maybe in their heyday, but uh, you eventually saw them. Is there any other time to see them? Well, any time with makeup is a good time to see them, you know? Yeah, but to compare the energy and just the outright we are out for blood. Yeah. Kind of a thing that Kiss had. I yeah. missed it. I totally yeah. missed it. I would have, of course. I mean, what, which, I mean, who wouldn't love to have seen Kiss on the Destroyer tour, the Dress to Kill tour, the Love Gun tour, or whatever? Well, uh, I have friends that saw them on at least Love Gun. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rock and Roll Over. And then, uh, you know, people saw them. I think our producer Jared saw them in '79 on the Dynasty tour. I would have been happy. With that. Yeah, me, yeah. me too, me too. Yeah. With the, you know, with the purple and the green and the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All yeah. that stuff, you know, with the the flowing capes, you know, which was very sort of like now that I think about it, kind of. I got to see Angel, you know in the 70s and they had capes and stuff yeah. and at that dynasty tour just a couple years later i would imagine was very there the costumes were similar oh it was just more like you know like uh had a little bit more uh viking and dungeons and dragons and spaceman added to it but capes lots of capes yeah you know? <laughs> earth, earth wind and fire had capes you know what i mean 
Here, here's another band that I missed that wouldn't. Uh, here you go. I think Casablanca. If you were on Casablanca, you had to have capes. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. So here's a band that I missed that had nothing to do with capes. And uh, I, I would have loved to have seen Nirvana because to me, they were, they, they changed the landscape of music in a way that I admired. And I agree with, I agree with that, but I'm going to say this, that means their capes were invisible. <laughs> well, they were kind of, I guess they were balled up under the cardigans or something. I don't know, but they, they, they shook up the music landscape in a way that I appreciated. And they, they strike me as, you know, a band that was really raw and savage on stage and just three guys just just going for it. And they didn't care about the production and they definitely didn't have capes and there was no pyro. It was just all about the blood and the sweat and the rage of the music. And I bet that would have been something to see when they when they first came out, because there wasn't a lot of that. They, they kind of revisited what the punk rock scene was in the 70s as far as stripped down, just bare bones, rock and roll, turned up as loud as it could go, and just raging at the world. And I would have loved to see that because it was pretty I, transformative. I agree 100%. I'm wondering if they came through San Antonio because in 87, I'm going to stay with that. So this would have been 10 years later uh, from my uh, depression of missing my <laughs> what came to be my idols, uh, you know, early tours. Um, I think that Soundgarden, as well as Nirvana, came through Texas as early as 87. Well, yeah, Nirvana played Liberty Lunch here in Austin. Yeah. Uh, in 91, which would have been, oh. you know, the never well, tour. Right, right. Well, I think they played on the Bleach tour. Oh, maybe That's it was. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's as early as 87 or 87 I'm going to go with. Yeah. And I think that they played the Cannibal Club or the Cavity Club or something like that, on, which was a, a shithole, yeah. like a loft on 6th Street down yeah. there sort of close to where well down there by the ritz maybe i'm off by a block yeah but i think they played down there as early as 87 and the first time i heard loud love uh was uh the boyfriend of an old roommate and uh i loved it you know it was very zeppelin in a grinder with sabbath kind of a vibe and it had some material to it and uh, was a little dreamy, but it was still heavy as hell. And in the same breath, I feel like I heard about Nirvana and these bands from Seattle that they, you know, the, the Seattle scene that was happening, they were all friendly with each other and, yeah. and slightly different tones and everything. But uh, it was around that time that those bands came through and, you're right. I wish I would have seen those. I wish I could say just for bragging rights, you know, that I could have seen that stuff. Now, when Nirvana blew up, I still wish I could have said, you know, could say that I saw them. Yeah, that's know, what I'm saying. Tours. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't even really on my radar until Nevermind. Bleach, you know, Bleach preceded it, obviously, but I wasn't aware of it until they blew up. You know, it's kind yeah, of that's, like. That's pre-Grohl. Yeah, correct. Uh -huh. and, 
so they weren't really on my radar until Nevermind. But um, well, then, that's that's an obvious sort of token there. Just to be fair, yeah. They, they but there was opportunities to see them. I mean, they they blew up and then they uh, were playing. You know, I could have seen them at a I don't know a Lollapalooza or a festival or you know something, and I never did. And I don't know why. Maybe maybe they maybe by the time they were so huge, they were only doing Dallas and Houston and not coming south. Or I don't know what the reason is. I just know that I never really saw them. And uh, if I could have seen them on like the Nevermind tour or something, that would have been pretty special. I agree one hundred percent. You know, I I um. I can't not say that there were people like I remember Mike Reno from Loverboy coming out and making a statement. And it was a video. I think that there was a crew interviewing, you know, people uh, about, you know, grunge and the, the rise of grunge. And it made a lot of other things, you know, that were hot at the time move over. And if you didn't have a, uh, a, you know, a big career or viewer sort of like had been waning already and da, da 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 you know, move over Rover and make room for the new school. And that was what we're talking about, grunge era, right? So I remember seeing uh, Mike Reno, man, he was pissed. He came out in a public statement on video and go, yeah, Nirvana killed my career. That's enough right there. It's like, well, hold on a second. You're talking about 90 yeah, yeah. Was Loverboy uh, still? Uh, still have a career in 1990. They were still working for the weekend. You know, <laughs> they were literally working for the weekend. There, they they didn't have shows five. You know, all, every night, all week long anymore. They were working for the weekend at that point, even. But right. it's the same. It's just funny, and and I like Loverboy. I'm not. I'm not. I, uh, Mike Reno is legit. I'm I'm cool with Nirvana. I'm not I'm not talking about Nirvana and I'm not talking about Loverboy. I'm talking about an era. But yeah. you know, Nirv when Nirvana hit, you know, they didn't they weren't setting out to be the biggest band in the world. They just were. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was no real game plan that you could no. <laughs> could uh, put your finger on. And that's and that's exactly the beauty of it, you know. Yeah, I agree. Exactly the beauty of it. Um, another band that I missed that, uh, again, I was probably just a little too late to the game as far as my age, but, and you've heard me talk about them before on, on this show, uh, is Hanoi Rocks. Of I course. They would have been great to see live because they were really doing something, you know, interesting and it, it, it wasn't necessarily new, but it was new for a new generation. So all of those kids that were too late, to, that, that never got to see the New York Dolls or David Bowie in his prime or the Stones in their prime or whatever, Hanoi Rocks was your, was your next best thing, right? Sure. And, uh, and Michael Monroe to this day is just one hell of a front man. And they would have been a lot of fun to see because they were a huge influence on a lot of things that came later that I really loved. Uh, even though musically they were, you know, probably more in line with older school stuff. But their presentation, their look, their swagger, uh, that would have been something to see. Um, I don't think I know a lot of people that can say they saw Hanoi Rocks. And if you did, leave a comment and let me know. Tell me all yeah. about it. Make, my, make me hate myself even more. Yeah. Yeah, tell us what year you were born to. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so here, here's the thing that I'll just add to that. I feel like it's very possible that the bands and the musicians that cite Hanoi as a major, major influence, I wonder if they even got to see Hanoi Rocks live. That's a very good question. And and there's two things in play here. Number one, they were a Finnish band. So it's not like you were growing up in the suburbs of America and they passed through town all the time and you got to go see them. They weren't even touring the States, I don't think, until... No, no and I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you and go, if we could borrow Bill and Ted's phone booth time machine thing and go back to, you know, whatever those late 70s uh, uh, Finnish rock club scene would have looked like where uh, yeah. it was just going off the hook and Hanoi Rocks was the headliner and everybody was just nuts for them and they had their own thing and people yeah. in Los Angeles and New York were going apeshit over this band from Finland trying to probably get them over to the States. I mean, yeah, you know, we I were screwed. So. Their, their their influence came more from the import Finn than right. it did from seeing them live, you know? Yes. Uh, and then it kind of became fashionable to say that they were an influence and whether or not you really knew much about them or not, you know? Um, but they were one of those bands that as a kid, you know, if you look at everything I love about rock and roll, they sort of embodied it at an early at an early time, you know, again, they were sort of, I was too young for the Stones and the Dolls and Aerosmith in their prime, and even too young for Hanoi, actually, but they were sort of the next chapter of those types of bands, and I would have loved to have seen them uh, around the Two Steps from the Move tour or something like that. Can you imagine seeing, I'm just going to throw this in because they're, they're, they're on my list, can you imagine seeing and I don't know why I was, I was of age. I could have, it's one of those, right? I could have got a ride with big brother or something. Aerosmith on like the rocks tour. Well, so that's a double-edged sword and, you know, I'm a huge Aerosmith fan. They're, you know, arguably depending on what day you ask, they're either my favorite band or the Ramones are my favorite band. It's, it's those two bands. So the rocks tour, the album of course is a masterpiece. But the tour, the band is in the throes of their, you know, Toxic Twins days. So were the shows any good? It's kind of going back to like the Sex Pistols thing. It's like you want to say you were there and wear it as a badge of honor. But was it really a good show or were they so trash that they couldn't perform? And yeah. at the end of the day, you probably don't care. You just want to say you saw it, right? That's kind of my point I was making earlier with the Sex Pistols. I bet the show was horrible, but I would have loved to say that I was there. Well, you can say that with the knowledge and the years that you have now about it. But at sure. age, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, you're there chaperoned by an, an older sibling or something, and you're seeing this train wreck of a band. You're still recognizing songs from the album that you bought for five dollars at, yeah. you know, Dirty Dave's head shop or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So my my point my point mainly is where I feel like I'm coming from. You're you're making excellent points, but 
is like, yeah, the badge of honor. So your young brain doesn't know that they're out of tune and they're sloppy and, and the singer forgot the words and he fell down, you know, which is exactly, yeah, which is exactly what you know now about the, the legend and the lore of uh, dirty old Aerosmith. So, yeah, no, you make a great point. I would have loved to have seen them uh, in the late 70s. I just know, as you say, from experience and age, all, you know, most accounts describe them as being a little bit sloppy, but they were always kind of, that was also part of their charm, you know? It's a little and, bit part of the sound. Yeah, it is. It really is. So unless they're just blind wasted and falling down and they pull the plug on the show halfway through or something, yeah, count me in. I'm I would love to have seen that. You know? Yeah, I want to make a point that, you know, you think about Jimmy Page and you think about like I miss Zeppelin. I, I was old enough to see Zeppelin. I miss that too. I think that they were almost kind of over by the time I was ready to see them because I for some reason I the first Zeppelin record I spun was uh, a borrow from my younger brother Randy, and it was uh, um, it was the live album. It was "Song Remains the Same." It wasn't even the studio recordings. Yeah, and I was just blown away at that, and I was like, "What? There's a movie?" So you know, I saw the movie, yeah. and that was really my introduction to to Zeppelin. But a lot of players will will say that Page was very very sloppy back then and on that record and in the movie, right? Well, let's talk about Ace Freely and his swagger and his kind of sloppy. And then let's talk about Keith Richards and let's talk about Joe Perry, jo Johnny Thunders and Joe Perry. It's the yeah. same sort of organized sort of like, a, you know, half a beat late in the slop and the, and I just mentioned Hanoi Rock, so you can add Andy McCoy to that mix as well. All, all of the above is kind of an important... We're talking about swagger. We're talking about a style. Yeah. I'm not going to say that all of that was even drug-induced. Yeah. It's, it's just... Yeah, some of it was just... That's the way they wore their guitar. They did it on purpose. It's down to their knees, and so you're going to hit bum notes and miss strings. Well, it also has to do with the kind of song that you're writing. I mean, to play behind the beat, that's a style. Yeah. You're you're finding the pocket and you're going to groove in that pocket. That's what the pocket is. So, you know, there's a lot of players that that deny Ace Freely and deny Jimmy Page and they say that he's just sloppy, you know, that's crap guitar playing. You know, well, I wonder why, uh, you know, John Five and uh, Daryl Abbott love Ace Freely. Yeah. So cool. there you go. I don't know. The best players in the world, you know, love Ace Freely. So. Yeah. Um, I see their argument. I don't see mine. You know. Yeah. 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 It's part. It was part of their charm for sure. Yeah. Uh, Definitely, especially anything coming out of the mid to late 70s. It was, you know, it was the 70s. Do I need to say more? You know, the all the shenanigans were going on, uh, yeah. you know. But so, um, so we can recap here a little bit. So ultimately, some of this has been our crime is our age. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Would you agree that probably Nazareth and Queen and Thin Lizzy and ACDC with Bon Scott and and Van Halen or even Boston and then Aerosmith and even Montrose 
or Bachman Turner Overdrive, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, on the last couple of tours before Ozzy split, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Rainbow. Uh, yeah. you, you know, would you agree that these are all in this sort of alphabet soup that we can drown ourselves in later? Uh, because we, that's some self-loathing that those are a lot of the influencers of rock and roll today that we, some of them we could have seen and we blew it somehow. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you under the bus cause you're older than I am. <laughs> Thank and you. I'm going to say, yeah, you could have, but I was still at an age where I wasn't quite, I, I didn't go to my first concert till 1983. So so damn you, anything, damn you, Metal Dave. Anything late 70s. But here, I will throw myself under the bus on my last two, and I'll group them together because we, we need to move on. But um, two, two more bands that uh, I never saw and I wish I had and had opportunities to do so and just dropped the ball, and that is uh, The Police and Tom Petty. Yes. I never saw Tom Petty, and I... By the time Tom Petty was, you know, I, I wasn't able to see him in the early years. By the time I was at a point where I really appreciated his catalog and his, his entire body of work and his concert tickets were expensive as hell. And I, I just never could justify paying that much for a concert ticket, which is bad on me, I know. Uh, but that's what prevented me from seeing Tom Petty. And then the police... Uh, when they were around, I didn't appreciate them at all. They were the band that all the preppies and the jocks at high, in high school liked. And uh, so I had no interest in them. They weren't metal. And uh, all these years later, I've grown to appreciate them so much. And yeah. uh, I really wish that I could have seen the police and Tom Petty. They were, they were a game changer, uh, the police. And I love Tom Petty, by the way. That was the first time I realized that that sort of, uh, you know, Bob Dylan meets Bruce Springsteen meets like Southern rock meets just good sleazy sounding rock and roll could sort of encompass pop music. Yeah. Be based around rock and roll guitar and tons of swagger and cool storytelling, which is how the maybe the Springsteen and the Dylan kind of a thing would come into play. Yeah. Um, but about the police, dude, they were punk rock and ska alongside, uh, you know, uh, the clash, yeah. uh, uh, that were game changers. They were in, in, and who knew that in the, you know, late eighties and nineties that ska and punk rock would mix again with the gold fingers and the, all those types of bands that I was not into. I'll just be straight up with you, yeah, but it's yeah. like, that's where they're getting it from is that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. English beat, English beat with the police in the early 80s, like just before MTV. Now those bands were huge. I remember being at a party in like 83 or 84, 83 maybe. Yeah. Um, at someone's apartment and someone had just come from like South Park Meadows was still under construction, but they had a gig and it was the police. Uh, I've heard someone someone had recorded it with a Walkman. Remember those, a little cassette? 
I remember you know, like little handheld with headphones. That was early, you know. N now you think of uh, here you go, Guardians of the Galaxy. The Sony Walkman is the star of the movie. Okay, <laughs> back to the police concert at South Park Meadows, which is basically a pasture, especially in, between eighty and eighty-two, eighty-three. It was a pasture. Yep. Somebody sold it and was going to make it into a concert venue, and I think it had just a concrete slab. Well, the freaking police played there. I'm at a party. Someone goes, dude, I just came from the police. I have a cassette tape. I just recorded the show. I was in, like, the fifth row. And I go, put it in. Let's hear that shit. So <laughs> I got to hear, like, an hour after they played, I got to hear the whole concert. Yeah. And I was, I knew that I was a fan at that point because it was, it was, it was off the charts. So good. So yeah. Great. And it was that early materials, that early kick-ass, you know, where they were they were playing everything faster than it was on the record, you know? Yeah. It's just fierce. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, beating ourselves up and uh, and uh, self- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do, do we reach the two-hour mark? Is this our longest show? <laughs> <laughs> this might, might be our longest show. Is it my imagination or do they keep getting longer? They do keep getting longer. And oh. It's funny that the one where we're, we're uh, spilling our regrets is the longest one yet. So. Go figure. It's like a, the confession. We're in confession. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've had enough of beating myself up. Uh, let's move on to <laughs> our shot of rock and roll. And Jason, closing out with our shot of rock and roll. My shot of rock and roll to you this episode is um, not too far off of our last uh, little bit of discussion here. Do you remember the first video you ever saw on MTV? Do you remember the artist and the song? And what do you remember, if anything, about your initiation to MTV? Before the you were on MTV. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the older I get, uh, my memory is not what it used to be, to, just to be fair. Join the club. Uh, yeah. I think that, um, you know, it, it just, you know, videos like uh, Twilight Zone by Golden Earring. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Oh man, you know there uh, thing things like that. You know the the first video on MTV. I remember what the what that was. It was uh, the the was it what was the name of that band? It was uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. The the Ruggle the the what? The Buggles. The Buggles is that right? Yeah, I think so. You sure that's what that's called? I thought it was the Ruddles or the Ruggles or oh, that, something. That was a joke band in the. Okay. 60s or something okay okay um but I, but i remember i remember the year that that um i think it was 83 that mtv was new 82 or 83 that mtv broke 80 or 81 it was right right, really? at, the, right at the turn of the decade wow yeah uh, um i remember uh I remember those golden earring videos was yeah. one or two when that record broke. I love those songs, those yeah. hits. I would, couldn't tell you any, other than radar love. I couldn't tell you any other golden earring, but the, what a fierce band. What yeah. a killer band. Um, I remember this is, this is to just go, I guess this can be my shot of rock and roll to you. 
All right. it's to you, you might be too uh, too young. <laughs> That's uh, but a recurring theme today. I'll what take. Do you, what do you say when I say uh, USA Network? USA Network. Do, do, do you know USA Network? What do you know that? Do you? Um, I mean, it, gonna, it, it is exactly what I'm saying. It's a network television that's you, know, yeah. was, you can I'm, get on cable. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, is that where I saw Night Flight? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good. So so yes, they had Night Flight. Yeah. Which like, they would. They would, show, <laughs> they would show videos. They would show. They would talk about bands. I want to say it was probably one of the first places you could see like a rock band yeah. and, and a promo clip like where the band had made, mimed to a video. Mm -hmm. um, and that might have been happening around the same time as MTV or just before. Probably just before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I also want to say uh, that USA, the same network that carried Night Flight, um, was was the same network that had this sort of in concert series. Don was it Don Kirshner? No, I I I couldn't. No, I don't think so. It could shit, dude. It could have been. It could have <laughs> been. I could have. Night flight could have been a part of the midnight special. I don't know. I I can't put it together. Uh, because I feel like the midnight special was different than Don Kirshner's rock concert. But I don't. I couldn't tell you what network. You're right. Uh, yeah, you're it's right. different. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Okay, good. So, no. so nope. you could see, you could see early rock and roll. You know, with a lot of the bands we talk about on Talk Louder, um, you know, the OGs uh, on television, on cable TV, as early as eighty and eighty one. You know, you just awake at midnight. <laughs> we're awake at midnight back I'm then you as a as a teenager or oh, whatever for sure yeah. oh god yeah but i this was my point during the day i don't remember in the afternoon sometime i remember having tv on and it was on usa network because i remember the the commercials right yeah the 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 you know station breaks right uh i saw this sort of in concert scenario show that they would you know usa network presents live in concert kind of a thing it was two bands back to back like it was one show that they went and filmed and yeah. mixed and produced and put on the network and it was this is pretty killer and i'm lucky to be able to say that i saw this and i'm gonna say it was like 82 or something like that it was Madame X with kicks. Oh. So Madame X, was Sebastian Bach in the band at that no, time? No, he was not. Okay. No, he was not. They had this really tall, I know that sounds like Baz, but really tall guy with giant hair. Yeah, I remember. And when, you, and when you see his face, it ain't Baz, because Baz yeah. is pretty, right? So, you know, just this monster guy, no shirt on, tight leather pants, just like destroying, right? Just like being yeah. around the stage kind of a thing. And other than that, I, I want to say it was the original, you know, the, the Petruzzi uh, sisters uh, and whoever uh, the 
bass player was just a big old dude playing bass. Yeah. And it was Madame X, and that's how I heard about Madame X. Yeah. I don't remember them saying where they were from or anything like that. It was just in concert. Now we have Madame X and, you know, a couple songs and then a commercial, a couple songs and a commercial. Then, and next up, we have Kicks, you know, and Kicks comes on. How many records did Kicks have out in 82, 83? Not many. But three? Probably, two? Yeah, three? Two or three, yeah. Now, Kicks has been around since the 70s. Yeah, they've been so around. I think they had a handful of records out. Anyway, that was my first introduction to Kicks, and they blew my mind because they were a little bit of everything. Yeah. They were metal. They were glam rock. They were cock yeah. rock. They were, they were like a vision into the future of what would come just a handful of years later. Yeah, yeah. And they're still going. And still That's right. And still yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Interesting and related. Also, on and I'll this will be the last thing I say because we're already like people are getting tired of hearing us talk. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I also saw on USA Network around the same time there was this band called Wrathchild. Yeah, an American band called Wrathchild pre Wrathchild America, which is the same band, which was. Shannon Larkin. Yeah. Shannon Larkin. And yeah. I think it was Brad. Brad Divins, I think, was in that band. So it makes me think that the crew was like East Coast, like Maryland, New York, Philly, you know what I mean? Like around that area that was filming these concerts. Yeah. I saw Wrathchild play. This is before there was another Wrathchild in the Brit in British. It was a British Wrathchild, and they had to add America. But I saw Shannon Larkin on you know, on cable television as early as '82, with hair down to his ass, with one side of his hair dyed black and the other side of his hair like parted down the middle, <laughs> like like Snow White. Awesome. And it was it was almost like a scene out of. Uh, uh, like uh, decline of the, the Western, just gonna say. The Western civilization. It was almost like a scene where they interviewed the band. Like, if I don't make it, I'm going to kill myself. It's like, that guy is pretty much a douche. <laughs> but it was the, the, the idea of them interviewing these, like, you know, are you guys trying to, you know, get a record deal? Yeah, man, we're trying to just, you know, we'll hit the streets as long as it takes the, the fire, you know, the fire. Yeah. Shannon Larkin had the fire and he did extremely well for himself. But I saw Shannon Larkin totally drink from the chalice of rock and roll on cable TV as early as that. And he had to have been a child. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's probably your age today, right? 16 I mean, or 17. So, yeah. 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 Great drummer. Yeah. And uh, all right. Well, I think we beat ourselves up enough. Uh, a lot of regret this episode. But hey, uh, as long as we uh, entertain some people with our with our sad stories. Well, well, we were entertained. And that's that's pretty important, too. <laughs> Obviously, because we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. All right. Let's wrap it up and uh, we'll save some uh, we'll save some talking for the next episode. Uh before we go, though, I want to thank everyone for purchasing merchandise, checking out our platforms, checking out our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you can find T-shirts, coffee mugs, etc. cetera. Uh, we love your comments. Keep posting, and we will respond to you. Until next time, 
Metal Dave Glessner here, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, signing off and thanking you for watching another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 